Thank you, Marlis. And parents, if you have not got your kids a kids packet or anything like that, they are out in the way, and feel free to go get them now um, if you don't have them. Uh, we love the chaos. We love the chaos of kids in our service, and we love that, that noise. So if you don't have that, please go out and get that, and uh, your kids can enjoy what Sherry has prepared. And uh, life has been a little bit chaotic lately. I don't know if you've noticed the weather. Um, this morning when I walked my dog, it was plus five. Um, July, July 3rd, plus five. So uh, yeah, that is a little bit unusual, but maybe not for the kind of summer that we're going through. And yet it's great to be able to be together today. And so I want to thank you for joining us in person. And for those of you online who are joining us as well, wherever you're at today, uh, thanks for giving us some of your time. And I want to begin today by sharing with you about a time in my life. It was actually a moment when I was young, a young adult, and I had a very close call. I was living in downtown Calgary and uh, with some roommates, and we were leaving to go to church. I went with one of my roommates to drive to church. And uh, we were driving, and we came up to this intersection where there was like a building right on the corner of where we were driving through, and you could not see the, any cars from the other side. And we had a green light, and my friend was driving 50 to 60 kilometers an hour, and just as he came through the intersection, a big black car came right in front of us. And there was no moment even for him to put his brakes on. And so we went right into the passenger side of the car. And this car that we hit was um, an old Lincoln Continental. And if you know that car, it's like a big massive kind of tank of a car. And we were in a VW Golf or Rabbit, something like that. And I just remember my friend's front end just crunching to the side. And uh, though we did make a, like a dent and a crunch in the side of the car, our car was like totaled in an instant. So um, everything kind of stopped. We were a little bit stunned. And then uh, we got out and called the police and all the tow trucks and all that kind of stuff. And everyone walked away physically uninjured, physically fine. Now, if we had been one split second earlier, or the driver, a lady, had been one split second later, instead of us T-boning her, she would have T-boned us, and her Lincoln Continental would have hit my friend on the driver's side and plowed right through us. And instead of us walking away, there could have been fatalities that day. There could have been serious injuries. And, I, and I, wonder, I wonder, was that a coincidence? You can tell. I still remember that moment. I still remember the look on the lady's face when we crunched into her. I still remember that. It's, it's like right there. Was that a coincidence? Were, were we just lucky? Or might God have been involved and watching over us at that moment? And I believe that God is intimately aware and involved in our lives. And I believe that since my friend and that lady and my time had not yet come, God ensured that we all survived. 
He protected us and delivered us from death at that moment. And I wonder if you can think of times in your life where you needed deliverance or you remember deliverance. Maybe you needed rescue. Maybe you needed protection. Maybe you live or work in a situation where you face this constant oppression or struggle because of what some other person is doing. Or maybe you remember a time when there seemed to be no way through or out of what you were facing, and then something changed. Or someone came along who who helped, who had a solution, and all of a sudden, you got through it. And it wasn't you. It was this situation that changed. And sometimes we do need rescue. And the Israelites in Ezekiel's time needed rescue. They needed deliverance. They had been scattered all across the ancient Near East because the Babylonians had destroyed their capital city, destroyed the temple, and displaced the population. And many of them had forcibly been resettled in Babylon or the region of Babylon. And they must have wondered what happened and where was God? And we have seen many reasons why this happened in our time in the book of Ezekiel. They faced this because of centuries of rebellion against God. He allowed this to happen to provide a national reset. Yet he would not leave his people scattered and in captivity forever. And we saw last week the turning point of this letter when a messenger arrives with news that Jerusalem has been struck down. And this confirmed that Ezekiel was God's prophet, that Ezekiel spoke truth. But this also results in a change in the tone and content of Ezekiel's messages. And if you have a bulletin, if you look on the inner part of the bulletin, you see a picture of the next chapters of the book of Ezekiel. And notice they are messages of hope. Messages of hope. So we've been through all kinds of messages of judgment, but now they are messages of hope starting in the chapter we're looking at today, Ezekiel 34. But you, we will see over these next weeks these encouraging messages of hope from the prophet. And today we're going to see God's rescuing work on behalf of his people, you and me. And my prayer is that first you will see your need for rescue if you currently don't see that need. And then second, we're going to look at how God rescued his people and continues to do so today. And finally, we will look at how we can embrace and live in light of and in the joy of God's rescuing work in our lives. So if you have a Bible, please find Ezekiel 34. If you don't and you're with us today, the Bible's in front of you. It's on page 615. And I'm going to be reading the whole chapter, which gives us this message ultimately of renewal and hope. So Ezekiel 34, and Ezekiel is talking here. And he repeats the word, the Lord's message. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, 
shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for the sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines. And in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. And there they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat, and the strong, I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? And to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. 
I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them, they shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they, will, they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. So why did God's people need deliverance? Because... Their shepherds or rulers took care of themselves instead of the flock. Ezekiel uses the image of shepherd and sheep to portray all of this. And shepherd was a common term for ruler or king in the ancient world. So the rulers or kings were supposed to be looking out for their people. And especially in Israel, the people of God... The kings were representatives of God and they were supposed to be looking out for their people. But the Lord confronts especially Israel's rulers in verses 1 to 10 and itemizes their failures. They have not cared for the people. They abused them. They lived off the people instead of for them. Ordinary shepherds led their flocks to pasture for food. But in verse 2, God says, should not shepherds feed the sheep? But these shepherds fed on the sheep. They ate them. They used their wool for clothes. They did not feed them. They did not strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind up the injured, or search for the lost. And the Lord then lists the consequences of the sheep or for the sheep of the shepherd's neglect. They were scattered. The worst thing possible for any sheep, to be alone, to be vulnerable, to be confused. And notice in verses 5 and 6 and verses 8 and 10, why God is so intent on confronting these shepherds. He uses the phrase, my. My sheep. My sheep. My sheep. My sheep. So the Lord has entrusted his people to these shepherds who neglected to care for them. So the Israelites needed deliverance from their shepherds and they also needed deliverance from certain sheep who bullied them or took advantage of them in verses 17 to 22. And he singles out those who bully others and most commentators think this is the wealthy or the ruling class who oppressed the vast lower 
class. And notice their greed in verse 18 where the Lord says, Is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of, your pa- of the pasture? Or, and to drink clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? So, so do you see what's going on? The, 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 the fat sheep have this great pasture to eat from. And then they're done eating and then they go on the rest of the pasture that's still standing and they trample it down to make it harder for the other sheep to get food. And then they drink this clean water and after they're done drinking it, they put their dirty feet in the water to muddy the water so that the other sheep have to drink dirty water. And notice they're bullying Physical bullying, in verse 21, you push with side and shoulder and thrust all the week with your horn. So that's the image of the big sheep coming along and they push aside the weaker sheep to get at the trough for food or for water and sometimes use their horns to throw them. The fat sheep of verse 20 do this to the lean sheep and this paints the picture of an oppressive ruling class. And remember we've learned that when a society bows down to idols, the inevitable outcome of that is violence and oppression against those who are vulnerable. So the Lord exposes shepherds who feed on his flock or his people and fail to care for them. And he confronts the wealthy and ruling class for their abuse and neglect of the vulnerable and the oppressed. And the Lord renders his verdict in verses 10 and 20. In verse 10, he says to the shepherds, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding themselves. And in verse 20, he says, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. And all of this is on behalf of the ordinary Israelite who needed rescue from oppressive rulers and oppressive people. And the good news is God is in the rescue business. God's nature is one of deliverer. And you and I can turn to him for rescue from oppressive people in our lives. And some of you can immediately think of someone in your life who is an oppressor. It may be a boss, a parent, a child, a spouse, a co-worker, a supervisor, a caseworker, a client... You might experience oppression because of some policy at work or at school or from the government. You might get oppressed online or in the locker room or on the bus. So you can immediately see how this applies to you because there are people who oppress you in your life. But others of us might not be able to think of anyone. We might be the head of our business, the head of our family, the head of the project. We, we don't see anyone ruling over us, and so we, we find it difficult to relate. But if we, even if we don't have human oppressors, we certainly all have spiritual oppressors that we have to deal with, like sin. Romans 6.12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So it's possible for us to allow sin to reign over us and live under its oppression. Or what about the devil and his forces? Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the spiritual forces of evil are constantly at work to oppress us. What about death? Death has some sort of oppressive reign over us right now. We all face it one day. Listen to Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 8. On this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And this is a good news passage, Isaiah 25, 6 to 8. It's looking forward to the time when God will overthrow death. And the Apostle Paul quotes from this passage in his incredible 1 Corinthians 15 passage on the resurrection. But right now we still live under the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. Death oppresses us. What about deceitful desires? Ephesians 4, 20 and 22. But that is not the way you learn Christ. If you have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So our desires can deceive us and reign over us. What about this present evil age? Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Which means that if we're not Christians, we currently live under the reign of the present evil age. And if we are Christians, God has delivered us from the reign of the present evil age. So though we may not experience direct oppression from another human, though many of you do, we certainly experience various forms of spiritual oppression and opposition. And just as the ordinary Israelite needed deliverance from neglectful shepherds and oppressive sheep, other people, we need the Lord's delivering work in our lives. So the question then is, how does God deliver Well, the first way we see is he personally rescues. He intervenes in our lives to shepherd his own people. Verse 11, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. Verse 12, I will seek out my sheep. Verse 13, I will bring them out. Verse 14, I will feed them with good pasture. Verse 15, I, I myself will be the shepherd of my own sheep. Verse 16, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. The Lord personally intervenes to rescue us and those suffering under the neglect of their shepherds. And when we step back from our own lives and think about this on a much broader scale, think about the sovereignty and justice of God. Think about all the human rulers who have oppressed their people and gotten away with it. They they won't get away with it. They're going to face the judgment of God one day. Think about the priests and pastors who have mistreated their flocks, taken advantage of their flocks, and then just moved on. 
Oh, they're not going to get away with it. God's going to call that to account. He personally intervenes in our lives when we face oppression. He binds up our wounds. He leads us to good pasture. He restores our souls. He leads us beside still waters. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord personally intervenes to bring deliverance into our lives. One commentator writes, the infinite power in the universe is our loving shepherd. And then there's a second way God delivers his people. He appoints his servant David to shepherd them forever. Verses 23 and 24, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. So the Lord's going to set up a shepherd who is going to shepherd us forever. He's from the line of David. He has some sort of royal blood in him, and he will shepherd them well. Does that sound like anyone you know? Here's some statements from a potential candidate. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. Or I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. That's Jesus. In the John 10, I am the good shepherd passage. Where it seems like he takes some of the words for his statement from Ezekiel 34. He is the fulfillment of this prophecy. The Lord appoints his son to shepherd us forever. And then there's a third way that God delivers his people. He provides a place of peace where they will live forever. And this is in verses 25 to 31 and also in verses 13 to 16. But here we see this incredible world that God is preparing for his sheep. A world that is safe, where no wild beast will roam, where no one will be enslaved, where there'll be no more pre- we will no more be prey. We shall dwell securely. None shall make us afraid. It will be an abundant world where the fruit trees bear fruit and the crops increase and there's crops on the mountains where the sheep will graze. There'll be no hunger. It will be a land of security and abundance in the Lord's presence. And the Lord concludes this rescuing passage with, I hope for you, a tremendous verse of encouragement. Verse 31 again. And you are my sheep. Human sheep of my pasture and I am your God, declares the Lord. God delivers his people from oppressive rulers and spiritual oppression and oppressive people. So how can we respond to this? First of all, we need to confess and stop any oppressive behavior towards other people. And and maybe some of us here or watching online have experienced some conviction from the Holy Spirit when we read about the negligent shepherds or the bullying sheep who use their side and shoulder to push people, push others out of the way. 
And we can do that sometimes through our speech, through our interrupting, through our attempts to dominate or pressure. And we need to confess that behavior. We need to stop it, to make restitution for it. Maybe we're taking advantage of our employees. Maybe we're enforcing an oppressive policy. Maybe we are bullying someone at work or at home or at school. And if we think such behavior doesn't matter, heed the Lord's warnings. In verse 10, behold, I am against the shepherds. Or verse 20, I will judge between sheep and sheep. This will be found out. This will face justice. So it's much better to confess it, to repent of it, to make it right before we're forced to make it right before the Lord. Secondly, we need to admit our need for deliverance. And for some of us, that's hard. Because we like to be self-sufficient people. We like to think, you know what? I can handle everything on my own. But if you have never admitted your need for deliverance, you've never admitted your need for rescue, then you're currently under the reign of all those things we talked about earlier. And maybe one of those God used to pierce your heart. Like you're under the present evil age, under its reign. You, you haven't been rescued from it yet. And if that describes you, you have to start by admitting your need for rescue. That you can't rescue yourself from sin, from death, from the devil, from the present evil age. And Jesus promises that anyone who believes or trusts their life to him will receive something called eternal life, which is not just living forever. It's knowing God and Jesus intimately now. John 17, 3, Jesus defines eternal life for us. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. A big part of eternal life, which we taste right now if we're believers. So if you've never asked for God's rescue before in your life, and God's speaking to you right now, you need to ask and admit your need for rescue. And if you sense God saying that to you, after the service today, Dieter and Marlis are going to be here at the front, available for prayer. You can come forward, and they will lead you in a prayer to talk about that. And if we're already believers, we need to continue to admit our need for deliverance and rescue because that's part of God's character. God is a deliverer, a rescuer. He continues to do that in our lives like I believe he did that day in that intersection for me. And then number three, which says, work for Christ and with hope while still under oppression. So let me try to explain this. The claim is that God rescues oppressed people. And yet there are people who still live under oppression today. So what's going on? Th think about the people of Ukraine. They're, they're under oppression today. Think about the people in Russia who want to express dissent over what their government is doing. They're under oppression and threat today. Some of you are under an oppressive boss or oppressive person in your family. And we ask, when is God going to release me? When is God going to rescue me? And that is a natural human question. 
but it may not be the most helpful question for us because ultimately we don't know when God is going to rescue us or redeem us from whatever we're facing. So I could find three ways, I think, to help us continue to live with hope while we're living under oppression. So first of all, just before I get to the three things, if you are under immediate danger or threat, you have to get out right away. You do. That's appropriate. But if that's not the case, number one, let your focus turn to glorifying God in your situation. Colossians three seventeen says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if we're in some sort of oppressive situation, one way that we can cope with it is by resolving, I'm going to do everything that I do to the glory of God in this situation. And that can help us take our eyes off of the oppressor and say, regardless of whatever that is going on there, I'm going to continue to glorify God. And then the second way I think directly oppresses, <laughs> oppresses speaks to the oppressor and the situation, which is work for the Lord and not for humans. And that's Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And it's likely that the letter writer, Paul, was speaking to people who were slaves when he wrote that. Slaves who lived under oppressive masters. Well, how, how do you continue to work under that? You can continually focus on the oppression, and I'm not going to work for them, and I'm going to do that, which is our natural response, but instead to work for the Lord, turn your focus away from that oppressor, oppressor and work for the Lord and not for men. Even if what they're doing is unfair or unjust, you're going to continue to glorify work for the Lord in the situation. And then lastly, I think, we need to entrust to the Lord the timing of our rescue and relief. God chooses when he's going to rescue us, to relieve us. So for Peter's mother-in-law, with her fever, it was a few hours. Jesus heard of this, goes to her place, and heals her from the fever. And she rises up and begins to serve them. For the disciples who were in despair after the death of Jesus, it was three days where they're rescued from their despair of Friday and on Sunday morning, Sunday they, they meet Jesus alive. For Joseph, it was 13 years from being an arrogant 17-year-old with his multicolored robe going through years of slavery until at age 30 he's raised up to second in command of Egypt. For Moses, it was 40 years. He saw his people being oppressed. He tried to save them by killing an Egyptian. That wasn't the way. And he had to go into the wilderness for 40 years. And then God brought him back to bring deliverance. And so you and I, we don't know when we'll be rescued, but we can continue to live by entrusting to the Lord his timing. And a great verse for this is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. And sometimes that will mean a pathway out of the oppression that you're facing. 
And sometimes it means waiting on the Lord uh, before he brings in some sort of relief, some sort of rescue. So God is in the business of rescue, of saving, of delivering. That's who he is. And as we come to him now in prayer, I want you to think of maybe something in your life that's really been oppressing you, really been weighing heavily on you. And, and I, just in your spirit, quietly lift that situation to the Lord right now. And Lord God, you know all these situations, maybe relationships, maybe health concerns, maybe financial concerns that are being lifted before you right now that are causing worry and constant concern and sleeplessness and maybe depression and maybe anxiety. Um, you know these situations better than we do. You know what's going on. You are at work in them, and yet we don't see it a lot of times. This is the walk of faith you call us to. So we lift all of these to you, Lord, and we ask for your rescuing work to happen in them, for your delivering work to happen and for your strength to persevere while we wait for those days to come. And maybe we'll have to wait our whole lives. Maybe we won't see it until we're in eternity, but we pray for your strength to keep going, to hold us up and on.